Well, as we transition out to our teaching time, um, I'll invite you to open your Bibles. We're going to be in John chapter 6 this morning. Uh, Pastor Aaron will be preaching uh, the word from John chapter 6. But before he comes up, I'll invite Stephanie to read our scripture for us. Good morning. This is the reading of God's word from John chapter 6, verses 26 through 40. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Amen. Thank you, Stephanie. Good morning, church family. How are you? Uh, My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're new or we haven't met, glad to have you. Welcome. We're going through the Gospel of John together, uh, and we're taking a good long time to do so. I just just found $20 in my pocket. Sorry, that was distracting me. Whenever you find money in your pocket, like, how'd that get there? Okay. um, Where was I? The Bible, right? Uh, We love going through the Word of God. We love seeing what God has for us each and every single week. And and specifically today, um, here's... Here's what my hope is. Here's what my prayer is, is that those of you who are burdened, those of you who are exhausted, those of you who are tired would find sustenance today. We're going to wade into some deep waters, some, some pretty heady sort of stuff. And I, I, as much as we love that, as much as we love taking notes, and as much as I love uh, giving you other links and things to read, you know, on our website later this week or whatever, uh, the most important thing today, the most important thing is that you connect with the source of life in the middle of your weariness and your burdens. And so I'd like to pray to that end right now before we do anything else. I'd like to invite you to join with me in prayer. I'd like to invite you to pray for me. God, I I pray for our time together here. Um, Jesus, we, we do. We want to love you with our heart, our soul, our mind. We want to love you with our actions. We want to love you with um, our thoughts by, by thinking deeply and thinking clearly. But God, I, I specifically want to pray for the hearts of all who are gathered here today that where we are weary, where we are running on fumes, where we are running on empty, we would drop 
the pretense, whether that's religious nonsense that we bring into the church trying to act like we've got it all together, or whether that's the nonsense of the suburbs where we just try to make everything look like we've got it all together. God, I pray that we'd be able to throw ourselves upon your mercies today, admitting that we're hungry, that we're thirsty, that we're needy. And God, being able to find more of your grace than we ever just dared imagine was possible. Pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. You ever gone to a restaurant and you, one of those types of restaurants where before your waiter really comes to take your order, the very first thing they do is they bring you the basket of bread. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, so when you, that's like, when you know, you're like a good restaurant, right? This, this, uh, this is this, this bread. And you're like, wow, this bread smells amazing. And oh, it looks so good. And I'm not, I'm not, oh, I don't, I don't want to eat this, bread, right? Come on. You guys are with me. I'm not going to, I'm just going to eat one piece. And you eat one piece. Like, oh my goodness. I'm just going to eat one basket full. And then, and then they come back by and they take your order. And then they're like, oh, you, you guys want any more bread while you're waiting? And your mind goes, no. But then your mouth just says, yes. And they bring another basket of bread over to you. Like it's irresistible. You can't say no. And then they actually bring you your food, your, your entree, your chicken, your pasta, whatever. You're like, I'm not even hungry anymore because I filled up on all that bread. Why did I do it? Why didn't I say no? Anybody else? Or am I just alone on this? Okay, good. Thank you. It's like you've never seen bread before. I'm just, what is this? I just got to keep eating it. Bread is this amazing substance. It really is, it really is universal throughout all cultures, throughout all of human history. It's interesting in, in, the, in the Bible, the Hebrew word for bread, lechem, literally can just be translated as food. It's bread or food. And kind of depending on the context, are we talking specifically about bread or are we talking about just food in general? It's interesting how in Genesis 3, the, the curse, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God's wise and loving and gracious rule, part of what that curse is, is it says that Adam, the man, by the sweat of his brow, will he eat bread. Isn't it interesting that, that Jesus gave us two practices, two ordinances, two sacraments, whatever terminology you want to use for these two practices. He gave us water baptism, which by the way, we're going to be baptizing three people later this afternoon. I'm really excited for that. I'll I'll tell you more later, but uh, we're baptizing people today, water. And then the other practice, this other sacrament that he gave to us is, hey, eat some bread. Like, well, I do that all the time. Okay, good. Uh, and, And drink some wine and proclaim the Lord's death. And, and the resurrection of Jesus and the victory over the forces of evil. Isn't it interesting that I'm preaching on the bread of life one week after we're finally able to offer gluten-free communion options for you people. Uh, if you didn't get the memo or if you weren't here last week, we're setting up the elements outside. Just grab them on your way in, hold on to them. We'll celebrate communion a little later in the service. And for those of you who are gluten-free, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, not the rice cracker of life. So y'all need some help here. I don't know. No, I'm just kidding. We, we love you. We want to serve you, care for you. Uh, because obviously you need some help. Uh, no bread allowed. Here, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus offers us himself. And, and, and no matter how good you think God's grace is, I have news for you today. It's better. <laughs> No matter how long you've walked with Jesus, no matter how many sermons you've heard about God's grace, guess what? You don't get it. I don't get it. We don't get it. His grace is that much better. 
And so the, the, the slightest little bit that I can help us to understand that today is what I'm hoping to do. And, and, and Jesus in this passage is telling us about himself. And that's the big idea for this week that, that Jesus, the bread of life, that he satisfies us by his beautiful and irresistible grace. When something is delicious to you and something is precious to you, you just, you can't say no. And Jesus' grace is, is kind of like that. Now remember the context of where we've been. Jesus performed this miracle. It's Passover season. And he performed this miracle. He multiplied the bread. He multi provided bread from heaven and 5,000 people ate. And then he went away and the disciples crossed to the, the lake and he walked on the water and disclosed his divinity. He's God. And the people the next morning woke up and said, Where, where'd Jesus go? We gotta go find him. And so they get into their boats and they cross the lake and they're searching for him. I mean, Jesus, Jesus just did this incredible miracle entering Passover time. It's all this, all this stuff about the Passover and Jesus is the new Moses and Jesus is enacting a new Exodus. And they're just, they got all sorts of bells and whistles going off in their heads. And like, we gotta, we gotta get in on this action. So they hunt Jesus down and they find him. And the verse we ended on last week was, hey, you know, Rabbi, how'd you, how'd you get over here to this side of the lake? And if only they knew, because they didn't see. And only the disciples saw. And they're just asking him about the bread. And verse 26, Jesus answers them. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Jesus starts with a little bit of a correction. He said, hey guys, that, that bread, it was a sign. And you're, you're missing the sign. You know what a sign does? A sign points you to something else. <laughs> you, you know, you're... you're you know, in Hawaii, some tourist place, some beautiful thing. And there's a sign that says the such and such volcanoes just around this corner. And how foolish would it be to just stop and be like, would you look at that sign? It's amazing. No, the sign is meant to point you to the waterfall, to point you to the, the destination. He says, you guys, you're, you're here because you just want more bread. All you want is the bread. You, you like the loaves. I can just kind of imagine Jesus in my mind being like, yeah, I know the recipe is good. It's divine even, right? Sorry, that was bad. But you know what I mean? Like, like Jesus, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm very honored that you liked the loaves of bread. But it's not about the bread. It's not about the bread. And notice how he said, don't work for the food that perishes. Hold on to that. But here's the thing. Do we see God as a God who gives blessings to his people? Do we see our God like that? Some of you, depending on your family history or your church background or your own natural temperament and tendencies, you might be tempted to believe a lie about God that he is some stingy miser holed up in heaven, dangling just a little carrot, just enough to get you to act good or to behave, when in reality, the Bible tells us consistently that God is a loving father who delights in lavishing good gifts upon his children. Amen. Psalm 103, David, the psalmist writes, my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits. Oh, what, what benefits are those? Well, he forgives all your iniquity. Ooh, that's good. That's real good because <laughs> there's plenty of iniquity in my heart. He heals all your diseases. Wow. He redeems your life from the pit. He gives you purpose and meaning. He crowns you, like dignity, right? 
having a crown, meaning like royalty, honor, dignity, value, with, with faithful love and compassion. Oh, he's compassionate, even in my shortcomings. And then he satisfies you with good things. And then my favorite Bible verse about coffee, your youth is renewed like the eagle, right? Energy and vitality, right? It's, it's in the Hebrew. You just have to trust me on this one, right? All the benefits that God gives to his people. This is, this is a psalmist just saying, look at, look at how many wonderful things God gives to us. Or 1 Timothy 6. Here's another one. This is New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to one of his uh, younger pastoral protégés. He said, hey, you got you to gotta instruct them. You got to teach them. Those people who are rich in, in this present age, those people who have money, who have possessions, which by the way, who is that? Raise your hand. This is us. All of us, every single one of us, compared to the majority of people in the world, our our friends who just traveled to Mexico saw that firsthand. In the history of the world, every single one, the poorest person in this room right now, you are rich in this present age. We have cell phones, and I rest my case, okay? Those who are rich in the present age, not to be arrogant, don't be prideful about it. Man, anything good that you have, it comes from God. And don't set your hope on the uncertainty of wealth. Okay, riches, they come and they go. But on God, have your hope be in God, who, now, this is surprising for some of you. Again, some of you imagine God is stingy. God is withholding. Hey, you got all that money. Shame on you. No. What does it say? On God, who richly provides us with how many things? All things. To do what with? To enjoy. Okay. Do you have things in your life that you love? Do you have things in your life that you enjoy? There are hobbies or possessions or people or experiences that you love? Do you, do you have any of those things? Let me, let me just add, let me live dangerously. What, this, we'll start on this side of the room. What, what's some things that you're thankful for? What do you have in your life that you're excited about, thankful for, that you enjoy? Dog, children, daughter, yeah? That's good. Health, yeah? What else? Huh? Cars. Yeah, I was particularly thankful for my seat warmers uh, this last week. I was just like, Ooh, it's cold, cold leather for a few minutes there, right? What else? What are you thankful for? House, huh? Your Lord, absolutely. Job, yeah, amen. Is there anything wrong with any of those things that anyone mentioned? No one said like, I'm thankful for my, you know, mafia that we go rob banks with or something, right? Nobody said that. Good things. God gives us these gifts. Now here's the problem. Do those things in and of themselves, really satisfy us at the deepest level? Does your child satisfy you at the deepest level? Your job, your seat warmers? Do those things really, truly satisfy? The answer is, of course, we we know this. No. But all of those things are meant to be signposts that point us to God, the giver of good gifts. Amen? So Jesus is saying, hey, you're you're stopping short. You're, 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 You're stopping short. You're landing on the things, and those things are meant to slingshot you into praise and worship of God. So let me give you a homework assignment this week. Would you please take some time, maybe later today, tomorrow, whenever you have a few minutes, and just start writing out lists of just all the things you're thankful for. And and just get it all out there. And as you do that, Set aside time to thank God and praise God and even ask him, hey, what's, what's the attribute of your character that, that is so good that, that this reveals? A dog, right? God is faithful, right? Uh, whatever it might be, just different ways that we can see how God's goodness is displayed in the gifts that he gives to us. But don't stop at the gifts. 
He is the one that gives us the gifts. Amen? So then they said to him, well, what must we do to be, to be doing the works of God? Basically, they're like, okay, that sounds great. That sounds really good. We won't work for the food that perishes, but there's this food that endures to eternal life. We want this eternal life. We want this satisfaction. We want this redemption. What do we got to do? <laughs> the default mode of the fallen human heart is always works righteousness. How do I get eternal life? How do I get satisfaction? How do I be in a, in a right relationship with God? I must have to do something, right? I must need to perform some religious feat, some ritual, some sacrifice that I must offer. I have to do something to get it. Can anybody else identify with this crowd of people here? Okay. I know that is in my heart all the time. God, have you, I mean, have you seen how good I can be on good days? Like, you're, you're pretty blessed to have me on your team, right? Like when I'm, when I'm, I mean, I know there's bad things. Yeah, I need your grace. But when I'm good, like, right? It's, it's pretty good, right, God? Meanwhile, I think the Lord just sits in heaven and is like, no, it's not that great. I love you, but you're more impressed with you than I am. <laughs> Jesus answered them, verse 29. This is the work of God. You ready? Here's how you're going to get it. Here's what you got to do. Believe in him who he has sent. Oh, that makes me mad because <laughs> I wanted to do something. I wanted to, I, it would be much easier, God, if you could just give me a checklist of things to do that I could just maybe like 10, I don't know, 10. Is there like 10 commandments? How about I do 10 commandments? I'll do that. Oh, believe. Uh-oh. Come on, anybody else get frustrated by this? Just believe. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. Believe, oh, just believe in general? No, no, no. Believe in Jesus. Friends, let me, let me say this to you. Some of you are here today. Um, you, you're not necessarily a follower of Jesus. You're here because you've got questions. You're here because someone invited you. We're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you're here. Jesus continually talks about who he is and what he came to do, particularly in the Gospel of John. And one of the things that he calls for is belief. But this isn't just belief in, in, a, in a detached sort of sense. The, the same word in the Greek can mean belief, or it can mean faith, or it can also mean trust. Like, you don't just sit back from a distance and say, yeah, that's, that's cool. I'm, I'm glad that Jesus said those things. Yeah, sure, I believe, whatever. But no, you entrust yourself into him. You say, I'm, I'm going all in. I'm pushing all my chips into the center of the table. I'm, I'm, I'm buckling in. I'm, 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 you know, hitching my wagon to the Jesus train. That's weird. I'm sorry. But you understand what I'm saying? Like, like, listen, there's a difference between saying you believe something and then actually trusting. So anybody ever done like any of those kind of like wild carnival rides or things where they like slingshot you? I remember, I think it was shortly after high school, I got in one of those ejection seat bungee cord thing. You know what I'm talking about? And I remember sitting there and I, I watched it for like a solid hour before I actually committed. And I watched it go and, and they told me all the statistics. I'm like, I, it sure seems like it's safe. And then when I sat down in and I buckled the seatbelt and I thought to myself, what on earth have I done? There's no going back at this point, right? That's that moment of faith. It's a silly analogy, but it's, a, it's meant to communicate a serious truth. Friends, Jesus doesn't want admirers or fans. He wants you to place your faith in him to say, I believe he is the, the word of God made visible among us. I believe he is God, the son. 
here, present with us. I believe he died on a cross in my place for my sins. I believe that he rose again on the third day to to prove that he has victory over death. That's what Jesus is asking. That's what Jesus is calling, not just admiration, but belief. Not works, not your great moral effort. How do you get in? How do, you, how do you get into the family of God? How do you get in on this deal for this bread that leads to eternal life? You just believe, believe, believe. So they said to him, this is hilarious. What sign would you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven. Okay, this is funny. Why? Why are they following Jesus around? Because he just did a big giant sign where he provided bread from heaven. They're like kids, like, well, you know, uh, that sounds pretty good. We like to believe, but uh, you, got, you got any more of that bread? You got, you got some snacks we could have? It's like when you feed your kids, and then like three minutes later, they walk back in, like, I'm hungry. Can I have some more food? I'm like, I just fed you, right? I'm probably reading too much of myself into this text here. But you guys, do you guys see why this is ironic? This is like, wait a minute. You guys just saw this miracle. This whole crowd is following Jesus because he just performed this sign. Can you, can you do it again? <laughs> Jesus said to them, listen, y'all, I say to you, this is interesting. It was not Moses who gave you the bread. It wasn't Moses that gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus is saying, listen, it is always Moses, Old Testament, Jesus now, New Testament. It has always been about God's gift of grace. Sometimes we can have this faulty belief or this misguided understanding that in the Old Testament, the way that people accessed God's grace was by works of the law. You ever read Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? There's a lot of laws. There's some 600 plus laws in there. And and we can buy into this belief like, well, in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, the way that you got right standing with God was by doing all of these works. But then Jesus showed up and now all the laws are done away with, all the works are done away with, and it's only nothing but grace. Friends, listen, Jesus himself is saying, Moses, me, beginning, end, page one, the last page, the only way, The only way that we have right relationship with God, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, has always been by God's grace. And it has always been by placing our faith in the promised Messiah of God. Please don't ever give place to this misguided idea that there's some sort of a wedge in between the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His grace is more than enough for us. And we've always, the people of God have always accessed it by faith in his promised Messiah. Amen? It's not about works. And you guys, for some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. Not by works of grace, but you, you don't understand how prone you are, how prone I am, how prone we are to just slip back into this works mentality time and time again. It's always by his grace, his His astonishing grace, his amazing grace, his irresistible grace. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am. Remember that last week? Ego me, I am. Well, here we're going to see the first of many of these I am statements. 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus invites widely. Who can come to him? Whoever believes. Whoever believes. He invites us to him, the bread of life. And then he says this though. Verse 36, look, but I said to you that you've seen me and yet you do not believe. (sighs) Do you sense almost like a little divine frustration there? Jesus goes, I've performed the miracle. I've done the signs. I've taught you. I've explained it all to you. I'm standing right in front of you. And yet you don't believe. What's, What's going on there? Why don't they believe? Why don't they come to him? Why don't they take him up on this offer of bread that satisfies all the way to eternal life? What's Jesus' answer going to be? Verse 37. All, listen to these words. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this, here here it is. You want to know what God's will is? The one who sent me? Here's his will. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. I will not fail, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father. I'll say it again. I'm going to reiterate it. Here's God's will. That everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Okay, friends. Much to my own danger and peril, I want to focus in on verse 37 for a moment. This difficult paradox. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So that verse sounds like it's saying two different things at the same time, doesn't it? First of all, anybody who comes to me, like, come to me. Like, Jesus, come. Come to me. Also, there's something else happening, though, that the Father is giving, and whoever has been given will come. Like I looked it up in the Greek, it's they will come, okay? It's a potent, powerful statement of like determined, settled fact. Invitation, come. They will come. What is happening here? Now, some of you are already sweating a little bit. I can see it in the room. Nervous. Don't worry, we're just wading into the largest debate really in all, not just in Christianity, but in like the history of human philosophy, okay? In the red corner, wearing the red trunks and choosing which corner he's going to stand in is free will, okay? In the blue corner, put there by some other force that he didn't recognize, determinism, right? This is, this is I'm being silly, but really, This isn't just Christianity. This isn't just Arminianism, Calvinism, whatever those terms. This really is the history of philosophy. Determinism says there are forces outside of your control that basically make your choices for you. So in in ages past, it was called fate. 
uh, in, in ancient antiquity, it was the gods. You can read about this in Plato and, and Aristotle and ancient Greeks. There, you can read about it in the history of enlightenment thought. You can read about you know, Rousseau and John Locke and Hobbes and all these people. And they wrote about you know, providence. Or then you get all these, all these things that are, that are just controlling you. In, in, in modernity or post-modernity now too, it's uh, what's the big one that, that rules the roost in terms of determinism? What determines who you are, how you are, how you were born, genetics, science and genetics. Why do you have dark hair? Why do you have blue eyes? Why are you five foot three? Why are you six foot seven? I don't know what you six foot seven, but you know what I mean? Like, why are you the way you are? Why do you act the way you act? Why are you attracted to the people you're attracted to? Why? It's all, it's all just genetics. Six million years of evolutionary history has all led to this exact moment. Why did you choose oatmeal over eggs this morning? Why did you choose a third donut when you know you shouldn't this morning, right? Oh, well, biology, evolutionary history, determinism. Free will, on the other hand, no, you're free and you can choose and you can do what you want to do and you can go where you want to go and you can say what you want to say. And actually, our culture is a little bit mixed up, aren't they? Because on the one hand, there's this really strong undercurrent of determinism. Baby, I was born this way, in the words of the great theologian Lady Gaga, right? And you got, but then on the other side, you've got this, you know, like what I call Disney Channel theology. You can do whatever you want to do and you can be whatever you want to be. It's like, well, I legitimately in middle school thought I was going to play in the NBA before I realized like my dad's five foot nine. I'm probably going to be five foot nine. I can't shoot to save my life. Like I could probably crawl through their legs, but that's all I got, right? You, you saying you too? You think you're to play? Yeah, okay. We'll start a former NBA Dreamers Anonymous club after service there. We're in this weird tension. Okay, is there free will? Are we determined? Is, is there, and, and you guys, by the way, when you study this from a philosophical standpoint, the arguments for determinism, man, they really win. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not trying to be um, overly confrontational. I'm just saying they, the, the logical flow, the rhetoric, the arguments on, on the determinism side, they really do win. Like it is really hard to prove free will other than I feel like I have a free will. You, you chose oatmeal this morning. Nobody forced you, right? That's, a, that's how you experience it, right? That's how you live your life. I will say, I watched a documentary recently. Surprise. I watched a documentary recently uh, uh, on the brain. It was on PBS. It was super, super fascinating where they had an experiment where they told people to like choose different things and they were giving them this like free will choice. And then they shot these like rays into certain parts of their brains and manipulated their choices. And the people came out and they said they thought like they freely chose it. And then they showed them that we manipulated your choice. And I'm like, science is out of control. Shut it down. Between that and like Alexa, I'm scared and Skynet's taking over. Like we need somebody to save us. Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe. All they did was they proved that your free will can be manipulated. You feel free, but that doesn't mean necessarily you are. Here, here's, here's the thing. We do not have time to solve a 3,000-year-old human dilemma and argument. What I want to do is I want to affirm some things that Jesus says in this passage, in this verse. There's this wide open invitation. Whoever comes to me, come and eat of the bread. Whoever comes will never thirst again. Whoever comes to me, I'll not cast out. Whoever comes. And yet Jesus says at the exact same time, those who come, they will come. There's something going on behind the scenes where the Father is is giving us to him. So here's how I want to say it. God's grace enables us to obey his call to come to him. 
Jesus gives this call. Come! Some people are right there. They're not obeying it. They're not doing it. Why? Jesus is saying, the ones who my Father gives me will come. God's grace, there's something going on behind the scenes, something supernatural, something, God's grace is so incredible, we can't even see it, that's working behind the scenes to enable us to be able to obey this commandment. Think about, think about this gospel of John, right? How many times have we seen and how many times will we see this theme of human inability and God's supernatural ability, Right? The wedding at Cana, we're out of wine. Nobody has any wine. We can't do anything. Jesus, uh, his mom, Mary goes, well, just do whatever Jesus says. Bam, wine, wedding saved. We got no bread. How are we going to feed all these people? We can't do anything. We're, in, we're unable. Bam, Jesus shows up. Bread. Think about this. This one just blows my mind. The, the paralyzed man. Remember when Rabbi Matt was here and he preached on the man laying paralyzed at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus walks up to a paralyzed guy and says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Now pause for a minute. That's rude. You can't tell a paralyzed guy to stand up and walk. Oh, unless you're going to do something to enable him to obey that commandment. Lazarus, you know, not trying to spoil the ending, but we're going to get to Lazarus here in a few chapters. He is dead and stinky. Like it says in the King James, he stinketh. Like it's phenomenal Bible verses in there, right? Jesus, (laughs) he's going to walk up to the cave and go, Lazarus, come out. Can Lazarus obey that command? Unless God does something to enable him to obey that command. This isn't just a theme of, of, of John's gospel. It really is a theme throughout the whole Bible. If you go way back, Deuteronomy 7, back when Moses was feeding people bread and stuff, Moses stands up in front of the people and delivers this word from God. He says, you're a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Oh, that's beautiful. Why? Out of all the people who are on the face of the earth, well, it's not because you were so great. It's not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. At this point, if I was one of the Israelites, I'd be like, hold on, ouch, okay? A little insulted God. I thought thought we brought something good to the table. God said, no. It's because the Lord loves you. That's it. The Lord chose you, not because you're great, but because he loves you. Or John 15, we're going to get there again later, Jesus makes it bluntly, plainly clear. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, at this point, here's where the objection comes in, and it's a really valid objection. So are you telling me I'm some robot? You telling me that I don't have control? Are you telling me I don't have a free will? Are you telling me I'm not responsible for my choices and actions? Not in the slightest. You are responsible for your choices and actions. You are a moral agent. It's just that through the fall, we've been so broken and so corrupted. Our will doesn't want Jesus. The bread doesn't smell good. That's actually in one of Paul's letters. He talks about to those who are being saved, Christ is this beautiful, pleasing aroma. But to those who aren't, it's like the smell of death. And I would hope that you would be at least as defensive of the free will of God as you are about your own. Does God have free will? Is your free will more important than God's? Here's the deal. We we, we need this grace. We need to apprehend this grace. How are we going to do it? 
It's not going to come through our great moral efforts. It's going to come through his grace. We're going to get his grace by his grace. Isn't that amazing? I love the way that John Calvin says it. You knew I was going to get a John Calvin quote in here today. Human will does not by liberty obtain grace, but by grace obtains liberty. You want your will to be truly free? You need God's grace to set you free. Justin Holcomb, one of my professors and and, and colleagues, wrote in a book on God's grace. He says this, Left to our own abilities, we don't cooperate with grace or even seek God. We choose ourselves over God every time. That's just what the Bible says over and over again. We are unable to seek God because we're spiritually dead. Just as Lazarus couldn't raise himself from the dead, we can't raise ourselves from spiritual death. We also need Jesus to say, Lazarus, come out! And all of this is grace that we don't deserve. Okay, listen. Let me, let me share an analogy with you that, I, that has been helpful for me. I hope it is helpful for you. Here's, here's how good God's grace is. It's like there's this door. And on the front side of the door is the verse where Jesus says, whoever comes to me. And you, you see, like, oh, I want this, I want this bread. I want to I walk through this door. And, and you go and you, you walk through the door and you open the door. And like, I came, I came to Jesus. I, I did it. This is amazing. And then you turn and you look on the back side of the door and it, it says, whoever the father gives will come to me. And you go, oh, I guess I had to come. I did it. I, I, I came. Oh, God was working behind the scenes. Here's how good God's grace is. Here's how good God's grace is. Friends, listen to me. Not only does his grace bring you into the family of God, his grace will sustain you. Did you hear what Jesus said? Here's what God's will is, that I would lose nothing of what he's given to me. Not a single one would get lost. Any of you ever like taking your kids to the fair? Right? It's like, I hope that not a single one of them will be lost. Isn't it great that Jesus can say that with confidence? Isn't it great that we can believe that because he rose from the dead? That the tomb is empty and he's alive so we can believe when he says, if I've got you in my grip of grace, the only way you're going to make it to the end is by my grace. This is the Father's will that I would lose not a single one. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I won't cast out. I won't ditch you. If you come to me, you were given to me by the Father and I will not cast you out. Some of you are here today and you are so scared that maybe finally you've tried the patience of God enough. You've stumbled into sin yet again. You've, you've given place to that temptation. You've given place to that bad attitude. You've given place to that sinful action or activity just one too many times. And finally Jesus is done with you. And I'm here to tell you, not on my own authority, but on the authority of the word of God, you are loved. You're loved. You can't, you can't surprise Jesus. You might be shocked by your sin. Your wife might be shocked by your sin. Heck, I might be shocked by your sin. I'm going to try my best not to let it show. But you can't surprise Jesus. When he hung on the cross, bleeding and dying for you, it was for all of your sin, not just the ones that you already know you've committed, but even the ones that you surprise yourself with. You are loved. How good is that, Grace? Don't believe the lie that you get into God's family by works righteousness and also don't believe the lie that you're going to make it to the end by works righteousness. It's all his grace. That's freeing. That's hope-giving. That's life-giving. That's burden-lifting. That is satisfying. 
that will fuel you to the end. Do we have a part to play? Absolutely. We're called to obey. We're called to serve our neighbors. We're called to put our sin to death. How? All by his grace. Fueled by, empowered by, kept by, helped by, forgiven by. God's grace and his grace alone. Charles Spurgeon says this, he who delights in the possession of the Lord Jesus has all that a heart can wish. As for created things, they're like shallow and deceitful brooks. They fail to supply our needs, much less our wishes. I love this. But in Jesus, there is room for imagination's utmost stretch and widest range. When Jesus is enjoyed, he puts a fullness into all other mercies. The creature without Christ is an empty thing, a lamp without oil, a bone without marrow. But when Christ is present, our cup runs over and we eat bread to the full. Father God, I pray for my friends here today, my brothers, my sisters, God. Some who are here today are incredibly hungry and they're incredibly thirsty and they're incredibly weary because we've bought in to the idea if not in our heads, at least in our hearts, that we have to somehow earn your love or we have to keep performing in order to remain in your love. And God, I pray you would wash us right now with wave upon wave upon wave of satisfying grace. May we feast on the bread of life. May we drink deep of rivers of living water. May our souls be satisfied in Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. We pray this all in his name, amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you and call you to respond now to this grace that we've received. One of the ways we're going to respond is by giving of our tithes and offerings. And let me say this. Do not give if your approach to giving is, I've got to impress God. I've got to earn God's love. We don't want or need your money. We will sell Pete's base if we have to. That's fine. (laughs) Sorry, bro. Uh, Give as an act of worshipful response to this God who's given us everything. This is about his grace. This is about you saying, I'm not satisfied ultimately in earthly possessions. I want to be satisfied in Jesus Christ. In a moment, we're going to celebrate the Lord's table. We're going to eat of the bread and drink of this cup. And and this is a simple, uh, you know, meager meal, a meager representation. But here's the deal. At the table, we don't feed or satisfy and nourish ourselves. Christ meets with us to nourish us. Amen? If you you didn't grab uh, the elements, they're out by the doors. You can grab them real quickly here. I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 to remind us of this celebration. I'll invite our musicians to come as well as we gather to, to, to eat and drink and to worship and sing. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Another way of saying this is as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's grace. We're fueled by, we're fed by, we're sustained by his grace. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So so let a person examine himself first. Search your heart. Lord, where am I satisfied by things other than you. Where are those good gifts 
that instead of praising you for, I've just taken for granted? Why am I running on fumes? Why am I running on empty? Why do I feel so burdened? Where have I taken the pressure and responsibility upon myself instead of believing in your grace? The musicians will play instrumentally for a minute, they'll hold, and then you're, you're welcome to eat and drink when you're ready. And then stand to your feet and sing with us. But I'd like to pray again. God, we, we see this bread and we see this cup here. We thank you for your grace. God, as we eat and as we drink, as we, we take these elements into our body, would you meet with us in a supernatural way, a way that we can't even articulate or explain, that you strengthen us and you move us and you give us your grace to be able to obey your commandments. Forgive us for our works righteousness. Forgive us for our attempts at self-salvation. And God, may we rest upon your grace in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, when you're ready, I invite you to eat and drink and then you can stand and sing with us.